The following message was given by Jared Torrance, a pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, and a guest preacher at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Good morning, Valley Creek. It is an incredible gift of grace to be here with you guys. Covenant Fellowship sends her hellos and greetings and hugs and all of the things to you all. Um, It's been incredible to get to see all that God is doing through this church. We pray for you guys often. Let me just try not to knock it over. Hold on. We pray pray for you guys often, and it has been a joy to see um, how God is just blessing this church, how God is blessing this congregation. And it's been fun to come back. Yeah, what do I got to do? Help me out here. Come on now. Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Nick. How God is um, continuing to use you guys in this local community and how Nick is just transforming this church into just a beautiful, beautiful thing by the grace of God. And so it is a joy for me to be here. Uh, If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 12, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The title of my sermon this morning is Perseverance in Christ, and I'm going to read the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get after it. And uh, whenever I preach at another church, I always, it's not really a warning, but I do let people know, you guys have outed yourselves during the singing, so I know y'all got some loud voices and you love Jesus, and as a chocolate preacher... (laughs) As I'm preaching, if there's anything that I say that makes you want to shout and holler, this is your... (laughs) Yes, see, there we go. This is your permission to do so. I will be screaming about the goodness of Jesus, and you may join me in that screaming as well. All right? All right. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's God's holy and authoritative word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Heavenly Father, would you bless the preaching of your word? Would you fill me with your spirit now? Would you prepare the hearers to hear your word as you've intended it, God? Would you help me to preach with integrity and clarity and joy and passion and truth so that at the end of this day, we would have greater affections for Christ? Lord, it doesn't matter what kind of prep I've done in this sermon or whatever if your spirit doesn't breathe on it. So, Lord, would you breathe on it now? Would you give us a fire for you, Lord? Would you help us to build our lives on your love and nothing else? Would you let us cast off self-sufficiency and look to Jesus? 
And would you use this sermon to help us to that end? In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Ultra marathons are races run on foot by people who are completely insane. It is the craziest of endurance races. Oftentimes these races are 100 or 200 miles long. Again, on foot. The runners who do these, they have many testimonies. Oftentimes they are hallucinating as they're running. Uh, They spend time crying in corners before they continue running. They carry their bowel movements in bags as they run. It is a whole mess of a situation. And the crazy thing is, most of their motivation for running these ultra marathons is simply to prove to themselves that they can do it. They don't enjoy it, not one bit, but they want to show their strength. And the funny thing is, is that their prize oftentimes at the end of one of these ultra marathons is a little belt buckle and also bragging rights on their endurance. So running 200 miles over the course of several days with not getting any sleep and crying in corners and hallucinating, and you get a belt buckle. (laughs) I almost said Paul. Paul didn't write this book. Um, (laughs) The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to a church who is in need of long-lasting endurance. The church here is facing persecution. The church is facing persecution for knowing and associating with Jesus. And this letter was written to encourage and exhort these people the fact that this is true, that Jesus is better, that Jesus Christ is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than the priests, and he is the better sacrifice. The author here wants the church to know that there is no one greater and no one more glorious than Jesus himself. And specifically here in this section we're dropping into, the author has just finished talking about the wonderful faith of the people in the Old Testament. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. Oftentimes it's called the Hebrew Hall of Faith, right? Even though the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 were a flaming hot mess, they were counted as faithful. And so now the author is encouraging the church to remain faithful and to run with endurance, but not to do this by drawing on their own strength, Not to do this by their own power or to earn some kind of belt buckle or for bragging rights. No, the secret to endurance in this race, the Christian life, the race of the Christian to be faithful is to not depend on your own strength and to not depend on your faith. The way for us to endure is by looking to Jesus. The way to endure in the Christian faith is by trusting and depending on the endurance of Jesus Christ. But our problem is that we are forgetful and we enjoy our delusion of self-sufficiency. We oftentimes try to do things in our own strength. We want to contribute to our salvation just a little bit. It's like we understand that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, right? We've got all those solas memorized. And yet, we try to sneak in just a little bit of works, right? I know it's Jesus, but I do read my Bible every day. I know it's Jesus, but I haven't sinned in that way in a really long time. We want to work just a little bit of our works into the salvation that comes from faith. And so we try harder and harder. We try to make ourselves more faithful. And what ends up happening is we end up growing weary and faint-hearted as we try to run this race in our own strength. Or we treat the Christian race not as a marathon, but as a 100-meter dash. And so we sprint, and we try to get as much done as quickly and as efficient as possible, and we fatigue ourselves. Because God doesn't work on our timeline of efficiency. 
God is a patient God. And Jesus is the one who's perfecting our faith. He is the one who will keep us to the end. It is not us. It is not our intellect. It is not our service. It is not our works. It is Jesus. And so if you continue in your own strength, you'll quickly find that it won't be enough. And after trying to run this race in our own strength and our own endurance and our own skill, after several waves of disappointment, you will find yourself simply overwhelmed, failing and falling into sin, weary and faint-hearted. And then one of two things can happen, and this is our response to trying to do things on our own strength. One, you put on the facade of faith acting as if you're carrying on fine in the Christian race when you're actually entangled in sin. Or number two, you withdraw from fellowship, terrified to let anyone know of your failures. You are not known, you are not helped, and your faith fizzles out. When you're entangled in sin, this trap robs you of joy. And the Christian life becomes a burden and a hard labor rather than a religion of grace and redemption and peace. And you get tired. I think it's safe to say in a room this size that some of you came in this week simply tired. (laughs) And I want to encourage you that the best way to endure as a Christian is to behold the Christ. When we look to him and consider him and glory in him and adore him, we can run this race with endurance. We can run this race for the long haul, meaning that we last. Years down the road, you can remain as you remember. You remember those who went before you. You remember Jesus. You remember his faithfulness, and you remember his endurance. Why? Because Jesus handled all of our needs on the cross. Jesus takes our weights and our burdens and our sins on the cross. Jesus fights for us to have endurance through his life and his death on the cross. And we need to look to him. And so the effect I pray from this passage on our lives is that we wouldn't be run down and weary saints simply trying to survive, but that we would be refreshed runners filled with faith, casting off our sins, running for the long haul with joy, looking to Jesus as he perfects our faith. The faith of the Christian is sustained as we look to our faithful Christ. We're going to look at that under two headings. We're going to jump into heading number one. So if you're taking notes, this is the first point. Heading number one, letting go of the burden. This is verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the Christians that came before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we remember the faithful ones that went before us, that cloud of witnesses. Oftentimes it's helpful to look at the entirety of the faithfulness of the biblical narrative. People trusted in Jesus. People trusted in the faith of their fathers, and it worked. No one trusted in what the Bible says and then found it to be untrue or found it to be unfaithful or found it that it was not enough. You can look at the faithful people in your family. Oftentimes, I just am so grateful that I grew up in a house that cherished the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had people that I could look around to. My brothers and sisters are saved as well, and I can see that the Christian faith is worth following. I've seen how Christ sustains people through suffering. People put their all in all in Christ, and he delivers every single time. I think of the faithful people at Covenant Fellowship Church 
the church that planted this church, and I see the faithful people in this room. I think of Tom Smith, who decides as he's rounding the corner to the finish line, I'm going to plant a church and see what else God is going to do. Why? Because he's seen Christ's faithfulness in the past, and he's trusting him for even more faithfulness. I think of the faithfulness of Nick and Happy, longing for children, longing for another child. And not once did they forsake Christ as they waited. And now sitting next to Nick right now is just a little sprinkle of God's faithfulness to stay, a little goldie. So what we need to do is we need to communicate with one another, talk to each other, because there is a cloud of witnesses around you right now. Tell me the stories of how God has sustained you. Tell me the stories of God's faithfulness. Because when we hear of his faithfulness, our faith is strengthened. I think of Linda Redrip, who recently lost her husband, Alan. <laughs> she was in fellowship group the other day. You know what she said? They would have celebrated, I think it was 50 years, uh, probably in September, I think. He passed away right before. And she said, you know, I feel so bad because I'm just so grateful. She says, that's what me and Alan did. Every day we looked to find something about Jesus and our faith to be grateful for, and there was not a single day that we couldn't find something to be grateful for. And now, even though Alan's gone, I can't help but recount all the years that God gave us together and to be grateful. Cloud of witnesses. So check in, hear the stories of how Jesus has sustained older saints, or even remember how God himself has sustained you. There's people that went before us and it worked. There's people who finished strong to the glory of God, faults, warts, and all, and yet they are counted as faithful because it's Jesus and it's not our works. For all of us here who have trusted in Christ, despite all the sins that we need to repent of and confess each and every week, at the end of the day, on that day, we are going to receive that well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) And all we have to do is let Christ carry us to the end. Do you guys realize the gift and the blessing that this is? The way we make this whole Christian faith thing work is by letting Christ do his work. It's by letting go of our perceived control and by looking to Jesus. One other thing we can do is we've got a, uh, I'm a big uh, proponent of reading books. I'm sure Nick is as well. well. And uh, it's always helpful to just read some biographies. There are some And whenever I think I'm too busy or I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, well, let me look at a week of Spurgeon's life. Okay, there's a lot more I could be doing, and Christ sustained him. Read biographies. I just recently read last year George Mueller. This man was a prayer warrior. He he raised this gigantic orphanage, and he's like, I don't want to, like, actually ever ask a single person for a single dollar for it. I'm just going to pray and see what God does. And God moved mightily. This man was a prayer warrior, and reading reading of his life inspires me to fall to my knees and pray to God more. You read about Spurgeon. Read about Limwell Haynes, the black Puritan. Read about Frederick Douglass or John Newton or these other people who have been so, so faithful. But there's something we've got to do as well, Right? The text tells us to cast off obstacles, sin, weights. 
Because that's what the other people did too. It's not like people were like, well, there's so much grace, I'm just going to run around in my sin and Christ is going to sustain me to the end. No, no, no. We cast off, what is the phrasing here? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There must be an action. There must be a response to the faithfulness of Christ. There must be a response to the gospel call and the transformative work of Jesus in our lives. And when the spirit comes into us, we cannot live the same way. We have to cast off our sin. Why? Because sin has real effect. There, there's, a, there's a workout that people love doing over Memorial Day. It's called the Murph. It's ridiculous. Um, I try to do it every year, but the one thing I don't do is you're supposed to do it in a weighted vest. I tell people I carry my weighted vest on me daily. Um, <laughs> but in a weighted vest, there are these little pockets where you can take like two or three pounds and slide them right into your vest to make the, way, make the vest as heavy as you need it to be. And what the writer is saying here is like, when you are, because we're all running the race of the Christian life. And carrying your sin, keeping your sin, is like just adding more of those little slots into the slots of the vest, making it heavier, making it harder to run, making you more fatigued. And he's saying, take off the vest. Christ finished the work. Your sin is done. Your sin has been paid for. Take off the vest. And that's how you're going to run with endurance to the end. Christ wants to unburden you. Jesus Christ is a peacemaker. We are the ones who have created enmity with God, and he wants peace. Sin clings clings closely, and another translation says it entangles us. Sin entangles us. It gets trapped up into everything that we do. It is not hard for sin to jack everything up about us. And remember, this is not a 100-meter dash. The pace of the Christian life requires patience. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another on God's time. He is always sanctifying us and making us more holy, but it oftentimes doesn't look like as much, (laughs) as quickly as we want it to do. We're not just going to work ourselves into more holiness. Christ works in us. The Spirit sanctifies us. It requires vision for the long haul. For the young people in this room, how can you keep on running 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? For the older saints coming around the corner, how can you keep on doing what you have been doing? Which is not specific formulas you have or routines you have, but it is the constant dependent on Christ. Let's take a specific example of running the race with endurance and casting off sin, which clings so closely. Lust is a sin that we all struggle with. The fight is always going to be there on this side of heaven, but let me tell you, The way the fight happens needs to transform as you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Satan's got to change his strategies to catch you up in lust. Young men in this room, actually everyone in this room, pornography will kill you. Pornography is a slot of of weights in your vest that you don't need to put on your vest. And It needs to stop being the same old story of I was up late, I was really tired, I was scrolling through Instagram, and I got into some bad stuff. That can't keep working. Lay aside every sin which clings so closely. It is never worth it. (laughs) Pornography kills. It is an injustice. It defiles those who are made in the image of God 
and it is wicked, and it entangles you in so much else. Do you know how much shame comes with that sin? Some of you know it. Cast it aside and consider him. Jesus is better. Always. And if you're here and you hear that word wait and the phrase sin that clings and the word entangled and immediately, even as I was just talking then, you're just like, well, there was that time and there was that time and there was that time. And failures begin to fill your mind and shame and fatigue and weariness and lack of faith begin clawing at your mind. Look up and consider Jesus. Is he shocked by your sin? Is he intimidated by your sin? Or do demons shudder and flee at the mere mention of his name? So in your fellowship groups, open up about sin struggles. In friendship, communicate where you're most tempted to carry weight and sin which clings so closely. Confess where you are entangled in sin. And if you want to kill these sins and lighten these burdens, here's how you do it. You look to Jesus and you throw these sins out into the light and cast your cares and your burdens and everything on the Savior himself. Sin cannot survive in the light. Darkness has to flee in the light. And it's crazy because the alternative to this is to constantly be tripping over your sins, trying to hide it and cover it up, being weighed down and thrown off by these distractions. And these distractions are distractions from true glory, from beholding Christ. And when we're not beholding Christ, we think we got to constantly work ourselves up to be better, giving in to comparisons that lead to condemnation, grasping for more, trying to perform better. It's not us. Christ really is that much more glorious. He really is that sufficient. He really will sustain and fulfill every bit of longing that you have in your soul can be filled with Christ. So let's try and discern what are the weights and the burdens that we are carrying. Some questions to ask are, what takes up a good amount of time in your headspace? Think of shower thoughts. (laughs) When your mind starts to wander, where does it wander to? What causes you anxieties and your fears? When you look to the future, what causes you to worry? Are you worrying about your children more than you're praying for them? (laughs) Are you entering a graduation year? Are your children entering a graduation year? And are you unsure of what's ahead? Is it your money or your income or your status? Is it how your children are raising your grandchildren? Is it whether or not you'll get a spouse? Whatever it is, how much of these anxieties and fears can be lessened and tapered down when we are beholding Christ? When the prophet Isaiah's vision occurred and he was beholding the glorious God, the time when he was screaming out, holy, 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 like that moment, he was not worrying about his financial situation. What he did is he screamed out, woe is me. When John the Apostle saw a glimpse of the throne room, he fell as though he was dead. (laughs) The true glory of our Savior is big enough and majestic enough to eclipse even our greatest fears. He is big enough to equip us for the harshest trials and keep us to the end. Because guess what? We can't handle a lot of things. (laughs) Many of us are stressed all the time. Many of us are hot messes, and we need help. 
my kids, I've got five kids. We are in a, they're in a phase right now. I don't know if this phase ever ends. I might ask some of y'all older saints later where they hate asking for help. The phrase constantly in our home is, I got it. And then inevitably we hear some grunts of frustration and then either a glass shatters, something falls over, or a hissy fit begins. And the problem is that we do the same thing with God. The more and more the pressures of life squeeze us, the more our reaction oftentimes is to close our fists tighter and try, to, and try harder, which is turning to God and saying, I got it. We don't got it. <laughs> when we look to Jesus, we set aside our burdens by laying them down at his feet because we know that he's got it. And weakness is not a popular notion, but we are weak people. We are needy people. And this text helps us in showing us our absolute need for a Savior and shows us that a Savior has been provided. True strength and endurance for the race finds itself not in a personal will or self-determination, but in acknowledging your weakness and leaning on the strength of the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, which brings us to heading number two, Holding fast to the faithful. Verses 2 and 3. Holding fast to the faithful. (laughs) Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that, this is the purpose, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus is how we cast off our burdens and our weights. We bring them to the one who ran this race before us. Christ is the founder Apart from Christ's victory, we have no faithful one to put our trust in. But he endured all things perfectly. In every way that Adam sinned, Christ did not. He was perfect. He did all things perfectly. We are released from carrying our burdens. I know oftentimes when I start to fall into these pits of comparison and all these different things, and it's really easy to fall into the trap of comparison when you're pastoring with people who have been pastoring literally longer than you've been alive. (laughs) And you feel like you're not measuring up, like there's just too much to do, to live up to, and you are simply exhausted. There's an old book called Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> the main character's name is Christian. He didn't get very creative on that. But what, <laughs> but what it does is it chronicles the life of a Christian And it talks about just the different hardships that come as people are running the race. And there is a beautiful moment. Because all throughout Christian's journey, there is, there's this thing he keeps talking about. He's like, there's just this, this burden on my back. I wish I could get rid of this burden. It's a backpack that's just so heavy. And all of these tasks that he's doing through the journey are just so difficult because of his burden that he has to carry. That's us. And the glorious news is that we don't have to carry it because there's this beautiful scene kind of right in the middle of the book where Christian finally gets to the cross. And as he's looking up to the cross, he just undoes his backpack and it rolls to the bottom of the hill. And he gets new clothes and he says, this is so much better. Can you believe it? My burden is gone. 
we don't have to carry our burdens. We leave them at the cross. Because here's the reality. Even that exhortation I gave about the lust example, right? That cannot be overcome in your own strength. You need someone, and that someone is Jesus. He is the founder of our faith, so we have no faith apart from him, and he is the perfecter. You and I are not the ones who perfect our faith. I uh, wrestled all throughout college, and so, like, I'm kind of a crazy person as well, not as crazy as the ultramarathon runners, but still crazy. And so there's a lot of things where, like, I love discipline. Like, discipline gets me, like, excited. Like, I love waking up early in the morning. I love doing my reading. I love doing this, that, and the other thing to make sure I have these processes in mind. But that does not perfect my faith. It helps me in my faith because I'm feeding myself the word of God. But that in itself does not perfect my faith. Jesus is the one who perfects my faith. So consider him. Because if we try to kill our sin and our own strength apart from the grace that comes from Christ... Here's what we do, and this is really tragic. We act like his death was in vain. It's like, oh, thanks for dying on the cross for some of these other sinners, but I actually got this one. We cannot treat the cross of Christ that way. So let's kill the facade of self-sufficiency. Let's confess our weaknesses. Get our sin out into the light because that's one way that you consider him. And honestly, the only reason (laughs) that we don't confess our sins is because of our pride and our fear of man. It's like we don't want to admit our weaknesses and we don't want other people to know that we're weak when literally that's the entire point of the Christian walk is that we can't do anything, but Christ did. So let's stop trying to contribute to our holiness and we need to look to him. Ray Ortland has this quote where he says, uh, in the Christian life and in the Christian community, you have two options. You can choose to be known or you can choose to be impressive. Let's choose to be known amongst each other because there's no reason for us to present ourselves as impressive. That's the whole point of the gospel is that it takes weak, broken sinners like you and me and makes us holy and blameless, not because of what we've done, but because of who Christ is. (laughs) Here's the other thing. We need to pray for God's assistance in all of this because we cannot simply muster up the faith to be transparent, right? So again, even that exhortation that I just gave about confessing your sin and not trying to be impressive, we need Jesus to help us with. He is the founder and perfecter, and he needs to perfect our faith to such a degree that we need his help to ask for help. (laughs) We need Jesus to help us see our need for Jesus. And the glorious thing, I love these windows, sorry, distraction. And the glorious thing is that he happily and joyfully answers those prayers. It's not like he's rolling his eyes and saying, oh my goodness, they're coming to me again. He's like, yes, this is actually why I came. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's what he came to do. It's what he wants to do. And it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The wrath of God that we deserve was joyful. Why? Because God so loved the world. There was such a type of love that he had for us that he is going to happily endure the pain and suffering on the cross on our behalf so that we can be holy and blameless. It is for the joy that was on the other side. Listen to Charles Spurgeon talk about this. He says, his glorious motive. What was that which made Jesus speak like this for the joy that was set before him? Beloved, what was the joy? Oh, tis a thought that must melt a rock and make a heart of iron move. That the joy which was set before Jesus 
was principally joy of saving you and me. I know it was the joy of fulfilling his father's will, of sitting down on his father's throne, of being made perfect through suffering, but still I know that this is the grand, great motive of the Savior's suffering, the joy of saving us. So we look to Jesus and we consider Jesus. And it means we've got to study Jesus. I love that you guys are walking through the book of Matthew. What's the subtitle? What's the thing? God with us? Come on, man. It's amazing. God is with us. That's what this whole sermon is about. We look to Jesus and he's with us right now. And every once in a while, I just, I have to reread one of the gospels, right? I got to just study the life of Jesus. I have to train my mind to remember Christ, to think on Christ and to consider Christ because this doesn't happen naturally, right? There's always that battle between the old man and the new man on this side of heaven. Excuse me. And so we need to fight for faith to look to Jesus. There's so many distractions coming at us. One thing I do, I'll just share this real quick, is I, I have a monthly practice. I call it three hours in the woods with Jesus. And uh, what I'll do is I'll just carve out three hours. Usually it's like from five to eight. I do it that early. It's just so that when I'm talking to people who are like, well, you're a pastor. You can do that. Yeah, I know, but I do it before nine. So, but if your workday starts earlier, we'll talk about that later. But just taking specific time, grabbing some books, grabbing a Bible, grabbing a journal, and just considering Jesus. It's my favorite time of the month. And if I miss a month, I'm like, what in the world am I doing? I need to go spend my three hours in the woods with Jesus. And he is so kind to meet me every single time. And sometimes it's not some profound, amazing thing. Sometimes I just walk out of there with, oh my goodness, I need Jesus more and more each day. There's one theologian who talks about maturity in the Christian faith. is isn't actually that you sin less and do less bad things. You actually see more and more and more of your sin, which makes you then more and more grateful for the grace that you've received in Christ. It's like, wow, I'm a much worse sinner than I ever knew, and he is a much greater Savior than I could have ever imagined. Christ is the perfecter. We aren't the faithful ones, but Christ is. He did this for us so that we won't be weary. He brings it all to completion. He brings it all to perfection. We hold fast in the faith by letting Jesus do his thing. Quick sidebar here. If you look at every deconstruction story, the story of people walking away from the faith or losing their trust in Jesus or doubting all the things that that they've grown up listening to or learning... Every single story, not a single time have I read one of those stories and the person has found that Jesus was insufficient. It's always people. They're hurt by the church. They're upset with politics. They're not satisfied with this, that, and the other thing. But it is never, I've been looking to Jesus. I've been considering Jesus. I've been trusting in Jesus to perfect my faith and keep me, and he didn't do it. People will fail you often, but Jesus is always faithful. The endurance we need for this race has been accomplished by Jesus enduring the cross and the hostility from sinners. And so (laughs) we need to look to Jesus. We need to consider Jesus. We need to fill our minds with the things of Jesus. Um, I'm a big advocate for listening to sermons throughout the week. Um, Podcasts can be helpful. I have a podcast, but I'm just going to advocate. Let's listen to more sermons than podcasts. 
Podcasts are great. I love hearing people think about things. But there's something about a regularity throughout the week of listening to people exposit the word of God and glorying in Christ that just fills my soul with joy and helps me keep my mind oriented on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And music as well. I think music can be a very helpful tool to keep our minds focused on Christ. Actually, I have a little bit of a liturgy that happens every time before I preach. It's a playlist on Spotify called Pre-Teaching. It's pretty much exclusively Christian hip-hop. But the first song on it is called Omnipotent by a group called uh, Beautiful Eulogy. It's the first song I listen to every morning before I preach. And here are some of the lyrics. They're so helpful, and it's so much of what this sermon is. He says, the weakest man I know is the man I see in the mirror. But it's okay to be inferior when you know Christ is superior. Much stronger than my fears and doubts, he's the overcomer. He holds me up when I'm overwhelmed by the weight my soul is under. From the highest throne is flashes of lightning and rolls of thunder. Yet he knows the number of hairs upon my head. I'm full of wonder that the one with universal power would be personal with his creation. As he unfolds his gracious purposes so perfectly, I was purchased by the death of Jesus, crucified in weakness. I worship a God who weeps, who intercedes for me while I sleep. Yes, I know he hears my cries. He doesn't roll his eyes, but rather he sympathizes and reminds me that all my needs have been provided. I have no reason to trust that I could be strong enough on my own, so I gladly boast in my weakness that Christ's power might be shown. Manifested through my life to prove my faith is genuine when tested because in the depths of my weakness is when my strength gets perfected. There is peace when we let go of self-sufficiency and look to the beautiful omnipotence of our savior (laughs) you know that exasperated slash relief relieved satisfied sigh of relief at the end of a long day when you've been running and running and running all day long and then you sit down right because the day is finished and you just go (sighs) usually ours lasts about 30 seconds before the kids come back down again and then we try it again and then the sigh actually matters the beautiful thing about that finished work that thing being completed, all the days, tasks, and things are done. The beautiful thing about the Christian is that you can start the day that way. And you can orient your Christian life and progress and endurance that way. You can breathe and remember that Christ is going to keep you. You can breathe because he's the one perfecting your faith. You can breathe because he did it so that you won't be weary and can have courage. We have a savior. We have a God who is actually glorious enough and beautiful enough that when we appropriately fix our eyes on him, our problems fade beneath the weight of his perfection because he truly is that glorious. Jesus is actually enough. When there are questions that you have on whether or not Christ can sustain you, as you walk through those horrible moments of intense suffering and those intense difficulties, Christ will show himself to be enough. You know, I joke a lot about, you know, the craziness of our kids, and we have five children. But Bethany's been pregnant eight times. 
We've lost a lot of kids. And not a single time in those hardships have we looked to Christ and found him to be lacking. He is enough. There is not one person who leaned wholly on Christ for all of their needs and found him to be lacking. The only times when we're tricked and it seems like he's insufficient is when we stop looking to Jesus and we begin looking to something else or someone else for strength or for hope. But Jesus is the founder and Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. I'm almost done here. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin says it like this. It's a profound statement. And you've got to ask yourself as you hear it, do you see Christ this way? He says, Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. Dane Ortland kind of expands this quote and he says it in a similar way. He says, when you come to Christ for mercy and love, and help in your anguish, and perplexity, and sinfulness. You are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. His heart is filled up all the more by our coming to him. Why? Because Jesus takes delight in helping sinners. He wants to protect you from weariness and strengthen your souls. It's literally right here in the text. I'm not making this up. Founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. But look at this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, this is the purpose, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's why he did it. He wants us to consider him so that we don't grow weary. It's what he came to do. I love this. I love Jesus. Preaching is fun. Christ is glorious. Church is great. His joy is increased and your, and your burdens and hardships are released. Though more hardship comes in this life, you cast them off over and over and over and over again. Listen, on this side of heaven, we're going to keep on sinning, right? But on this side of heaven, we're going to keep on casting these burdens and confessing these sins and allowing Jesus to take on all of our folly and all of our sin because he dealt with them already on the cross. The redemptive hope here is that there is not a single accusation that Satan can bring against us that Jesus doesn't have an answer for. Think about it. Every single accusation paid for. (laughs) And you know what else is glorious about this text? It's, It's the end here where it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. What did we just talk about? What you do at the end of the day when your work is complete, when your work is done, when there's nothing else you need to add or finish or do for the day is you sit down. Jesus sat down. Why? Because Christ completely finished the work. The perfection that is promised to us is already completed and will happen. There is no one and no thing that can rip you out of the grasp of the Savior's love. The only thing that could do that is for Jesus to re-die and not be risen from the dead, which is not going to happen. He will keep you and he will sustain you. And all we need to do, this is our part, is we look to him, Jesus the foundation of our faith. Jesus, the one who perfects our faith. And so we consider the glorious reality that this Savior of ours sustains our faith as we look to our faithful Christ for all things. The way we endure in this mega ultra marathon of the Christian life 
is not to look within, but to look up and consider him our majestic, glorious, and perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a gift it is that you have given us, Jesus Christ. There is no more for heaven now to give. (laughs) Because he is the founder and he is the perfecter and he did it so well. So thank you for the gift of your son, Father, and thank you for revealing this gospel truth to us. There's nothing more that we can ask for. You've given us all things in Christ. All of your promises that we read in Scripture find their yes in Jesus. And that is glorious. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you for sending your spirit who glorifies the Son. It's glorious and it's beautiful. So help us as we leave today to consider him daily, to remember him constantly, to look to him and him alone as the founder and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Jared Torrance given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.